Welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman, a podcast loaded with practical tips, powerful scripts, personal stories, and simple steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. So get ready to get the information you need to make the impact you want from someone you trust, your friend, parenting expert, Dr. Robin Silverman. Hello and welcome to How to Talk to Kids About Anything, where we give you the tips, scripts, stories, and steps to make even the toughest conversations easier. I'm so honored to be your host, Dr. Robin Silverman, child and teen development specialist, author and speaker, and most importantly, parent of two great kids who give me the opportunity to love, learn, and grow every single day, whether I want to or not. Believe me, I get it. It's not always easy, but we're in this together and we have some great people helping us along the way. Now, how do we educate our children about politically sensitive subjects like diversity without inflaming culture wars? On the one hand, people talk about the need to expand labels to be more inclusive. We've certainly heard this as it relates to gender over the last several years. On the other hand, labels can constrict, restrict, generalize, and wash over the unique aspects of each individual, the very characteristics that make our children and teens amazing. So how do we celebrate diversity without reducing it to a bunch of limiting words? How do we talk about this complex information to our children who are living at a time when topics of race and gender and sexual orientation are global conversations for both good and catastrophic reasons? Today, we welcome Irshad Manji to provide talking points to open up conversation on this very heated topic of labels and diversity. Irshad Manji is a globally acclaimed educator, author, and speaker. She serves as the director of the Moral Courage Ed at Let Grow, a nonprofit that promotes students' independent thinking and emotional resilience. Its signature program for students, teachers, universities, and businesses empowers people to hear, not fear, different perspectives. Irshad is the author of Don't Label Me, how to do diversity without inflaming culture wars. Welcome, Irshad Manji, to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. I'm so pleased to be with you, Dr. Silverman. Thank you for the invitation. Well, I'm so glad to have you. Before we launch into everything and get really into this important conversation, can you tell us what gets you up in the morning and what got you so interested (laughs) in how labels play a role in how we discuss diversity? Well, you know, it's very personal, actually. Um, I was born in Africa, but I'm not black. I'm brown. Uh, I was raised as Muslim, but I'm not a what you might call uh, a conventional Muslim. I'm uh, a a, a sort of a a reformist within my own faith. Um, I happen to be queer, uh, but I have misgivings about a lot of the politics that go on uh, among LGBTQ folks. The point is this, that for all of my labels, uh, I'm so much more than the baggage that goes with each of those labels. And we all are so much more than the assumptions that are made about us by the labels that people put on us or that we take for ourselves, which is why I believe, and the research certainly shows, that the key to really celebrating diversity is to recognize two things. One, uh, 
that diversity is not merely about demographics, like someone's skin color or gender identity or, you know, um, religion. Diversity is also about individual opinions and thoughts and ideas and insights. Um, and that brings me to the second point about diversity that really allows us to celebrate it, which is that if we reduce people to the groups that we presume they belong to, then we're overlooking the really, really unique and interesting things about them. So instead of assuming that you know someone based on the label that again, either they take for themselves or that you put on them, rather than assuming, begin to engage and ask lots of questions from a place of curiosity, not judgment. Those I are two that. key uh, you know, aspects of diversity that most people completely forget, either because we've been conditioned to see people only through the lens of labels, and because many of us, given the cancel culture that, you know, is still thriving today, many of us fear asking questions when we ought to be really joyful in asking them. I'm really appreciative of what you're saying here, because even that invites conversation. I feel like sometimes the message has been, you shouldn't be asking these kinds of questions. Mm -hmm. People want to squelch them. Maybe they're considered rude or taboo, mm -hmm. or you should know better, or don't ask me that I shouldn't have to educate you about yeah. who I am. And, and it's, so it becomes very confusing because we want to ask in order to learn, that's and that's, we've always been taught that. But at the same time, if we're getting that communication back, people are going to be very nervous mm -hmm. about asking questions that might invite people to shut you down or the feeling that they may do that and you might offend, which is that's far right. from what most people want to do. That's exactly right. You've hit the nail on the head about the various fears that we have today. And by the way, those fears are not completely irrational. I mean, mm -hmm. yes, fear itself can be irrational, but the reality is that we do live in a time when we are getting very mixed messages about how to do diversity and inclusion. Everybody, almost everybody agrees that we need to be more inclusive, that we need to, you know, incorporate diversity into how, you know, we live uh, our lives together, but very few of us are given straight talk about, um, you know, what the landmines are and mm. where the joy is. And I know that in this conversation, we're going to bring both of that. Uh, we really that are. I want to hear even while we're just mentioned that, like, what, what are the landmines mm -hmm. that we're supposed to be avoiding and where is the joy? Right. I think when we get rid of the landmines is when we're going to find the joy. And sometimes it's about, you know, reminding the person whom you're asking these questions that I'm coming from a place of curiosity, not judgment, right. in order to assure them that you're not asking this in order to put them down or make them defensive, but rather because you're, you're genuine about wanting to learn. Um, so that's number one, always give people the why before you ask the what. You can even say something like, um, I hope you know that I'm coming from a place of sincerity and not sarcasm, right? Mm -hmm. You can also say, uh, by the way, I have a lot of questions for you, which I hope you don't mind me asking. And by the way, 
you are more than welcome to ask questions of me as well. So let's really make this a conversation rather than, you know, um, a, a transaction. Um, I, I'm your student. And if you'd like to be my student too, let's have fun together. Mm. I right? love that. That is a really important statement that you just said there and, and coming to it, but with just stating, stating it outright, I often tell people when they come to me and they say, I'm really scared that my child will do this. My teen will think that if mm-hmm. I say this, I say, get it out right away. Yeah. Like just state your fear right off the bat because it shows that you're actually really thoughtful and that you are caring about their reaction. So I think that's really important. And that you're human, Mm -hmm. that just because you're this kid's parent or this individual's educator doesn't mean that you have all the answers. And in Mm -hmm. fact, there's great power in acknowledging that you don't have all the answers. Mm -hmm. Because what that shows is that the conversation we're about to have can actually be a learning experience for me, young person, and not just for you. There is nothing more authentic than acknowledging that, you know, you've got a lot to learn and grow from as well. Interestingly, I would say that the kids these days mm-hmm. typically have their finger on the, the pulse of the culture so much more than when we do, mm-hmm. because they're living in a day-to-day school situation. Many of us are working from home or maybe removed from the day-to-day situation that they might be encountering. And I even think about how kids are approaching gender these days, that it's, I think, especially with my own kids, age Mm -hmm. 11 and 12 right now, and we've talked about it so extensively at this point, but still that it is just natural for them to have a more expansive view of what Mm -hmm. gender looks like these days than what, what we grew up with, what my parents may have grown up with. I think it's become more progressive in a lot of areas, not, and certainly in not in all pockets, but in many areas. So we have a lot to learn from our kids. We do. And yet, Dr. Silverman, I don't know how your kids, um, you know, sort of fit into what I'm about to say, you can tell me, but while they have often a much more expansive view of what gender or even sexual orientation mm-hmm. mean, the way they are taught to communicate about it can be very restrictive. Interesting. And it comes back to your point about fear. Mm-hmm. These kids often, not always, but often self-censor. They silence themselves because they fear saying the wrong thing. Mm. So if you say something to them, let's say as their parent, that strikes them as being, you know, um, cancelable or cancel worthy, Mm. you might get a kind of reaction from them that you think is like really like overdramatic, like heated, like mom, you can't say that. As opposed to, you know, mom, that's like, you know, that's not really not cool. Mm. Um, But the reason for that reaction is that they know what would happen to them if they said something like what you just said, even if it's in the form of a question. Um, And so in many ways, they're triggered by the fact that you have said what they've thought 
but dare not say. Mm. So I think there's a way of, of dealing with that kind of fear that even our own kids are coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, and we'll get into that in just right. a moment. Can I just say one other thing here, Dr. Silverman? Sure. Because we're a few minutes into, you know, our own conversation, which by the way, I'm thoroughly enjoying. <laughs> and, um, and, um, and there's a, there's a, there's a thread that connects everything that we've just talked about. And that thread is not diversity. It's not inclusion. In a way, that thread is moral courage. Mm. Now, this is what I teach. I teach something called moral courage. And I say this to all the listeners now, if you Google moral courage and don't right now, because all (laughs) you're going to get if you Google it is something like speak truth to power. And yes, there is moral courage when one speaks truth to power, but there's a big problem with that very simplistic definition. And the problem is that these days, again, in the realm of cancel culture, it is very easy for young people to assume that the only truth worth hearing is their truth. Hmm. Number one. Number two, think about the word power in the phrase, speak truth to power. A lot of young people assume that because they've been taught that they are marginalized uh, simply by dint of being, uh, you know, girls or being uh, gender fluid or being non-white, that somehow they are oppressed. Mm-hmm. Okay. And, and I'm going to push back on that in just a second as someone who is a girl who is non-white, <laughs> who, mm-hmm. you know, is gender fluid. I will tell you right now, there is no better time in history to be all of those things mm-hmm. than, than today. But I'll get to that in a moment. What I want to say first is this, that a lot of our kids are taught that they are oppressed and therefore they have no power which Mm. is why they must, quote, speak truth to power. Well, guess what? This is a very disempowering way of raising children. Because if they grow up believing that there is a group of people out there in the world who are oppressors, and that there is a group of people, namely all the rest, who are oppressed, then they will never come to understand their own agency as individuals. Mm -hmm. And so we've got to let them know that they do have voice. They do have a choice. And the choice in almost every situation is, how are you going to respond to something that offends you? If you respond by lashing back at the person who has said something you don't like, remember, you're only making them defensive, Mm -hmm. which means they're not going to learn from you. They're only going to recoil in fear and even in anger. And maybe they'll even double down on the very thing that you find offensive. Mm. So here's a question for All young people, whether you're an educator, a parent, a coach, a podcast host, here's a question to be asking any young person who is really passionate about an issue and easily falls into the trap of becoming so angry when 
anybody else disagrees with them. Here's the question. Are you passionate about moving the needle on this mm. issue, namely about making change? Or are you passionate about feeling superior because of the stance that you're taking? Mm. Because there is a big difference, my friend, between these two things. Mm. Okay. If you're passionate to make change, then you've got to remember that just like you, other people are human and that nobody does well when they act from a place of being scolded and shamed mm. and humiliated. This is right? a great point. And in fact, I, I was thinking about this while I was reading your work and curious then how we might encourage our children to courageously bridge the gap mm -hmm. between classmates or potential friends or even on social media. Right. So that you can see each other beyond labels and still talk about and appreciate the nuances of differences yeah. when somebody is bringing up something that is a trigger for us that yeah. makes us feel offended or makes us feel unseen or unheard. Yeah. So that's a really big question, but I'll boil it down to something that I know you teach on practically every episode <laughs> of this podcast, which is we as adults have to role model the very thing we're trying to teach. Mm -hmm. Let me explain. If we're trying to teach young people to not freak out when somebody else says something that, you know, they're triggered by, we as adults have to not freak out when our kids say stuff that we're triggered by. In other words, we have to uh, role model moral courage, which means speaking truth to the power of the ego. Now, let me just unpack that a little bit, Dr. Silverman, because I know that little word ego is a big thing. Mm -hmm. And we need to see it in ourselves before we see it in our kids. So here's what I mean. You know, all of us as human beings are born with a brain and that brain has a primitive region and it's a hyper emotional region. It's the region of the brain that I call the ego brain. Now, what do I mean by ego? Ego, I don't mean in any kind of a mystical or religious or self-helpy kind of way, not at all. The ego is a function of the brain that exists to keep us alive. So for example, if I'm about to step into the path of an oncoming bus, mm -hmm. it's my ego that will say, run fast, <laughs> freeze so that you don't take that next step, or fight to somehow elude that oncoming bus. It's the ego that will save my life. Now, that's fabulous. All respect to the ego. But here's the problem. Because the ego comes from the primitive part of our brain, it cannot distinguish, Dr. Silverman, it cannot distinguish between mortal danger and mere discomfort. Right. Right. So in our culture, a culture in which our ego brain is constantly primed by social media and by other factors 
to be hyperactive, right? To always be primed for outrage. Mm. It's very difficult for us to realize that we cave to our ego when we lash out. What we have to do when speaking truth to the power of our own ego is to say, ego, I respect you one day. You might save my life if you haven't already. But in this moment, I'm only hearing something that makes me uncomfortable. I'm not going to die. So ego, I love you, but I'm not going to let you bully me or manipulate me into becoming more dogmatic, more defensive than I need to be right now. Mm -hmm. Okay. Mm -hmm. And if we can remember that about ourselves, we're going to be able to role model moral courage, which again means speaking truth to the power of the ego. We're going to be able to remember that and role model moral courage with our own kids. Okay. So given that we given keeping all of this in mind, mm-hmm. this conversation about labels, since yep. labels can certainly be hot buttons for us. They sure can. You discuss labels in your book as a way you say that it can distort our perceptions of people and their perception of us. So if a child came home and, and said to their parent that maybe they met somebody at school and they label them as black or Muslim or gay or transgender while describing them, are we then to, to interject about this concept that this can be, that this can be a hot button for people? In other right. words, what should we say or do yeah. when we hear a child labeling themselves or yep. others based on diverse qualities. Yep. It, it can't be that, that we can't describe people, but of at the course. same time, we have to be sensitive to the fact that this can lead other people to feel offended. So how do we navigate that? Yeah. So let's look through the lens of moral courage, right? Now, again, if moral courage means speaking truth to the power of the ego, then we're not going to want to lord it over this young person. We're going to remember that they have an intelligence of their own, a context of their own, information that of their own that we do not yet have. So the first thing to do, instead of telling anybody, including a kid, don't do something, Mm -hmm. ask questions. And questions that come again from a place of curiosity, not judgment. So for example, and we can even role play this if you'd like, Dr. Silverman. I'm open Uh, to whatever you think would be helpful. Very good. (laughs) Let's say, let's say uh, you're my daughter and you've come home and you talked about, um, you know, uh, meeting uh, a black kid. Mm -hmm. Okay. I would say to you first and foremost, oh, well, um, tell me more about your new friend. Right. And I might say, Mm -hmm. oh, they're, they have a really great singing voice and they've been, they were dancing in their space in the, in the middle of the classroom. Mm -hmm. And I just, I just noticed them uh, because they were, they, they had a big smile on their face and I thought they were really cool. That's really great. I love hearing more about people. Um, But I am curious 
Robin, I would say to my young friend, um, that you mentioned that this person is black. Mm-hmm. Um, is, is that important? Um, I just am just saying they're black because uh, my other friends are white. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, have you spoken to this new friend of yours? Yeah, we we talked just for a minute in school because she had a, a piece of paper that I needed um, a, a, one of the sheets and she was mm-hmm. passing it to me. That's great. Well, um, do you think you'll be a good friend of hers going forward? Well, she's in two of my classes, so I think we'll see each other a bunch. Great. Well, I really hope that you guys develop a wonderful friendship and that at some point, you know, maybe she comes over to our place or you go over to her place. Mm-hmm. Um I just hope you remember, uh, Robin, that, you know, all of us um, are, are many things. Uh, you might be, you are, you are white. You're also, as you pointed out about your new friend, a great singer or a lovely artist. And, you know, it's just really nice to know that no matter how somebody defines themselves, uh, there's so much more about that person mm-hmm. to get to know. Mm-hmm. And I can't wait for you to come home, you know, in the coming days and tell me more about your new friend. Cause I'd really love to know more about her. And Robin, I hope that you'll, you know, let her get to know you too. Mm-hmm. I remember in your book, you talk about, there was this like, I think it was a Twitter exchange you had mm-hmm. with somebody where the person happened to mention that I think the person was black or gay, or I don't remember what it was, but like uh-huh. some, some kind of descriptor. And you're just right. asked, like, can you just tell me why you pointed this out? And they're like, well, it wasn't the important part. I was just mentioning it, but like, yeah. it's actually not the point. Yeah. And then the person came back and said, actually, thank you for calling me out on this because there really was no point in me telling you that. Feature. So, so I remember, I remember the story you're talking about and lest our listeners worry that I'm going to scold them for thinking. No, it about wasn't labels. like that at all. It wasn't it like that at like all. That. Exactly. So let me just explain for the listeners what that story was so that again, cause this is a great example of how you can even handle something that may be a little hot as yes. opposed to very benign, like, you know, the, the Robin Earshad example that we just went through. So in this example, in my book, Don't Label Me, I point out that a um, that somebody who I didn't know at all and who is Pakistani um, said that, um, you know, that I'm queer and that uh, I had just gotten married um, to, to obviously to a woman. And um, it had really nothing to do with the topic that the the person who was tweeting about me uh, was commenting on. Mm. So I responded to her in a diplomatic and respectful way. Yes. Um, I'm just curious. I said, is there a reason that you pointed out I'm, I'm queer? And she replied, well, it's just odd that, you know, a Muslim um, oh, would also be right. queer. And I said, I responded, I said, yeah, you don't hear that a lot. It's true. Um, but is it important, uh, you know, to, to have put this into the context of what was already being talked about? And she uh, wrote back to say, you know what, you're right. Um, it wasn't important. And then she said, I'm sorry. And I replied, no need to be sorry. Just hoping that we all have something more to think about. That's mm-hmm. it. Right. Right. So I wasn't I wasn't calling her out at all. If anything, I was asking her, 
to help me understand where she was coming from. Mm -hmm. And that is a very important way of approaching something that even you, Dr. Silverman, as an adult, or me, Irshad Manji, or any one of our listeners, if you are somehow tweaked or even on the verge of feeling offended by something that someone else has said, before assuming why they said what they said, ask them Mm. if it was important to have said this in the context of the conversation. Not because you're schooling them in anything, but because you yourself may be assuming something Mm. that you shouldn't be. And when you can approach them, reminding them, hey, can you help me understand? As opposed to, I'm going to school you. Mm. No, you are their student now. Let them tell you what they were thinking. Because it may be that you're assuming too much, and therefore there was no reason to call them out in the first place. Or it may be that they will actually validate, you know, your concern that they were being gratuitous, at which point the fact that you have called them in, not called them out, but called them in to help you understand where they were coming from will in and of itself make them think much more than if you had actually called them out. Yeah, I like that you you say in your book that you need to view these labels as starting points, not finish lines. That's exactly right. And and so, you know, this is just such a good description and and story related to that. Now, while you're talking to Lil, who's your blind wise dog mm. in the book, yeah. you say and so you ask why not dump the vile black and white vocabulary associated with race? Mm-hmm. I'd love to Lil. I'm told though, it's exactly because racism persists that these labels remain relevant. So we just had an example of a child coming home and just mentioning that a new friend is black. Mm-hmm. That's not kind, not the racism issue that we're talking about. That's mm-hmm. just the beginning of a label. Yeah. But in each of our families, what would you say are the top conversations you feel that we really do need to have about race and racism in the context of our dinner tables? We might not be able to change the entire world. I mean, in your (laughs) book, you even say like, I I can't dump these things out. I can't. Mm -hmm. But in the context of our dinner tables, we might be able to really make, move the needle, as you say. Mm -hmm. So how can we ensure that our children are getting the knowledge that they need based on open-minded values and integrity when it comes to racism in our own homes? Yeah. Really great question. So um, the key, I think, to having honest, meaningful, and constructive conversations about racism at the dinner table is to remember that uh, your child is not you, Mm. meaning your own views on these issues, whatever the issues may be, don't have to be the views that your child holds. Now, you might want them to have views that are very similar to your own, that's fine. We all want, you know, more agreement with us in this world, obviously. Mm. But understand 
that the way to get your child to open up to you, not just you open up to them, is to approach them uh, appreciating that they live in a world that is different from yours. So the questions you ask them are really for your growth, not for theirs. Hmm. Now, here, th- this is very counterintuitive, right? Because again, lots of parents and even many educators will say, but Irshad, I'm an adult. They're only a kid. And yeah, 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 I've heard all of the stuff about, you know, sharing power. And frankly, I think that we live in too permissive a society already. I don't want to be their best friend. I want to be their parent. Or mm-hmm. I don't want to be their best friend. That's not my job. I'm here to be their educator. Mm-hmm. And I say, great. I am not disputing you on that. Mm-hmm. The point is this, though. If you want them to be open-minded about your values, and where you are coming from, the best and most reliable way to get a fair hearing from them is first to give a fair hearing to them. That's how our brains operate, Dr. Silverman, is that if we are feeling, um, you know, uh, in any way shamed by the person who is trying to teach us something, we don't succumb to what that person is trying to teach us. Instead, resistance builds up in ourselves. And for the sake of peace right now, I might say, all right, all right, all right, Dr. Silverman, I hear you, fine, whatever, okay? Or I might even say, if you're my peer, not my parent, I might even say, oh yeah, no, thanks. Yeah, no, really, I I get it now. Like that's the right way to be thinking about this. But in my heart, I haven't changed. Instead, I've become resentful Mm. about how you treated me and therefore how I'm going to get even with you when my time comes. Mm. So this is why whether you're a parent who's trying to get your kid to open up about these issues or whether you're even a younger person who's trying to move the needle on these issues and trying to influence the thinking of other people. The key is not to finger wag. The key is to let them know you want to hear from them. And when their emotional defenses come down because you want to hear from them, that's when they're going to be much more open to hearing from you. One of the topics that I feel like often is one of those finger wagging situations that have really become much more, uh, it's just been much more obvious lately is this idea of, of privilege Mm -hmm. that is, you know, (laughs) telling your children that you you have to remember you're coming from a privileged position and, you know, and therefore you have to be more sensitive to other people. And obviously this argument has a lot of merit because we want children to realize that they have a lot of blessings. Mm -hmm. You talk about in your book that privilege has its drawbacks and its blessings. Mm -hmm. So how do we talk to kids about privilege? How, how can we help them see that they are blessed in many ways, as you discussed in your book, Mm 
but also that privilege can further divide. Yeah. And, and, and how can this concept then be explained from those two different perspectives so that it doesn't sound like finger wagging? Yeah. So you're, I forgive me if I sound like a broken record, but these are really, really important skills to reinforce even after they are taught, which is start with questions. Mm-hmm. And again, not questions that judge your kid, but rather questions that open up your kid. So for example, let's say, Robin, we're having another conversation and you've told me more about the young black uh, girl whom Mm -hmm. you've befriended. And you point out that, you know, somebody, whether it's an educator or whether it's uh, a, a peer at school, told you that because you're white and this girl is black, that you have more privilege than her. Or in fact, mm-hmm. you have privilege and she doesn't. Let's be that cut and dried about mm-hmm. it because unfortunately, okay. that's how you know conversations about diversity go these days. Mm-hmm. If you told me that um, after you came home, I would first ask you, what, what, what does privilege mean? Mm-hmm. Or what does it mean to you? And again, Robin, feel free to be the Robin Silverman, who I'll I'm be talking the, to right I'll now. I'll be the child. Well, but but, would... but but be the but but give me the answer that you think you know uh, a smart child would. Give. Yeah, I would yeah. say that I have things that other people don't, and I have to realize that. Yeah, you probably do. Yeah, what kinds of things do you have that probably others don't? I get to go on vacation, and I um, have I, I get presents. When and and sometimes I get presents even when it's not holidays, and also I've heard that one of my privileges is just that I'm white. Hmm. Yeah. Well, let's go back to the presents and the holidays for a second. You absolutely do get all of that, and aren't we so blessed? Um, do you think your new friend doesn't get any of those things? I don't think so because her sneakers looked really new and she, she really dresses awesome. Hmm. So it may be that she also gets holidays and, and gifts throughout the year. Is that possible? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's definitely possible. Yeah. So actually um, you're both blessed, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. So what do you think it means when somebody says that you have all the privilege because you're white and she has no privilege because she's black. What does that make sense to you? I think it means that because I'm white, I don't have to deal with racism. Ah, I see. Do you ever feel like um, people judge you um, before they even get to yes, know you? Just because definitely. you're white. Yes. Yeah. And so I'm blonde. Yeah. 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 Do you think that could be? part of what racism is? I guess in a different way. I mean, but people can get really hurt because of the color of their skin. And even though people hurt my feelings sometimes because I have blonde hair and say Mm -hmm. I'm stupid, like, I mean, I'm not getting hurt. Right. Well, but it does, you're not getting physically hurt. Not physically hurt. Yeah. Yeah. It hurts my feelings. Yeah. I, I guess, I don't know. Here's the way just based on what you've just said to me, Robin, it seems to me that we human beings, we like to judge each other a lot, no Mm -hmm. matter what the 
uh, reason is, whether it's somebody's skin color or some the color of somebody's hair or, you know, how someone talks or whether they're in a wheelchair. Mm. Um, we judge each other a lot, don't we? Yes. Yeah. We yeah. How does, and, and, and do you think we should judge each other less? Yes. I think it's unfair that everybody yeah. judges people by how they look. I, my friends are, you know, are different from each other and it's mm-hmm. okay. Yeah, it is okay. Exactly. Exactly. Well, you know, maybe this is something to think about, right? That maybe your friend, you know, the, the one who sings so well, mm-hmm. um, maybe, maybe she has privileges too. Mm-hmm. And maybe the fact that, you know, she has this great singing voice means that she'll have success in the music mm-hmm. industry, maybe, whereas right. somebody else will have to figure out what makes them so awesome. Mm-hmm. Right? right. So maybe we all have privileges um, and that we should be thankful for them mm-hmm. and also get to know one, one another better than just because of someone's hair color or skin color. What do you think of that? I think that sounds awesome. Yeah. 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 And so do you see how Dr. Silverman, like starting with questions and yes. even continuing with more questions mm-hmm. Uh, is a way to tease out uh, where any person, by the way, not just a young person, although that too, how any person really is feeling um, deep down, um, even if they don't yet sense the permission to say so. By asking questions, you're not telling them how to think, you're giving them ways to find their voice. And in a, in a space that is brave, um, everybody has the permission to talk about how they really feel and what they really think without being immediately judged for doing so. Mm. That is the moral courage definition of a brave space. Mm. It's not one where people can't say what they want to say. It's one in which people are uh, encouraged and equipped to talk about things in a way that is honest for them, uh, a way in which they get to be uh, confused. I like to say, have the courage of your confusions, Mm. not just the courage of your convictions, Mm -hmm. right? And a space in which they know that whatever comes out of their mouth within this space you're not going to be immediately judged for it. Mm -hmm. And that is how we create the kinds of psychologically safe spaces where we become candid and courageous at the same time. Beautifully said. And and I feel like that does move the needle. Mm-hmm. And I feel like I could keep talking to you, but we're coming up <laughs> to like the, the final questions, which sure. are just basically couple word answers. So do you think I'm capable of that? Dr. I Silverman? think you are. I have faith. I have okay. faith. Okay. I'll, are you I'll ready? go with your faith. I'm ready. Okay. Please complete the sentence. The reason that reducing people down to labels is so detrimental to the, the diversity conversation is people are not things. Hmm. Things stay static. People are sentient beings 
ever evolving, ever dynamic. See, you did it. And it was so nice. I mean, there was like a little semicolon, but that was beautifully said. Okay. Thanks for the punctuation. Yes. And then what is your top tip after somebody listens to this podcast and is hearing what you've said about privilege and race and gender and labels and diversity? What is your top tip that you want parents, educators, and coaches to come away with? I'm sure our listeners have already heard me emphasize the need to ask questions Mm -hmm. rather than make statements. Mm -hmm. So I won't belabor that one. What I will also say, however, is that uh, you want young people to understand that how they converse is at least as important as what they say. And in fact, it's often more important because the way they make someone else feel will determine how the content of what they say actually lands. And if you can leave the other person feeling respected, which does not mean agreed with, it means heard. If you can leave the other person feeling respected, what's interesting is that whatever you have to say has a much higher chance of being heard as a result. Mm -hmm. So the whole point of the moral courage method of uh, discussing topics is not to be nice. It's not even to be civil for the sake of civility. No, the moral courage method of communicating across divides is really about ensuring that what you have to say gets a fair shot of being heard. And the best way to be heard is to ensure that you lead in the listening department. Mm. I think that's something that needs to land with every parent. We talk so much Mm -hmm. about the importance of listening on how to talk to kids about anything. Listening is just as important, if not more. Right. Give us the resource of the week. Where can we go to get more information about you, your book, and the work that you're doing? Well, um, you know, we have uh, my organization, Moral Courage, uh, has a K-12 program, um, and it's called Moral Courage Ed, Ed for Education. So come to moralcourage-ed.org. And in fact, on that, on that website, we have a page called resources. And that page is chock full of delicious content that you can both consume for yourself and share with young people. Okay. Moral Courage Ed. Okay. Dot org. Dot org. Moral Courage Ed. <laughs> org. Thank you so much. And I just want to thank you for coming on the show today and having these really important conversations with us, opening up this conversation so that we know to ask more questions, to listen more, and to really help tease apart this conversation so that it doesn't feel so taboo and feels like a bridge rather than a divide. I really appreciate all the things that you said today. It's been such a pleasure to speak with you. I hope we'll get a chance to do it again. 
Me too. Well, I've got my takeaways and sweet friends I know you have yours. So let's discuss them. You can come up to Facebook and go to the Dr. Robin Silverman page or let's chat about it at drrobinsilverman.com or twitter.com. I'm at Dr. Robin and I'm also on Instagram under Dr. Robin Silverman. I will be going back and forth with Irshad all this week about this podcast. I bet you you have questions. Please ask them. We have so much to discuss. And if you love this podcast like I did, I hope you'll go up to iTunes and rate and review it so that other people can learn about these outstanding conversations, conversation starters, and use them in their own homes. The more you review this podcast, the more that it gets exposed. These five-star reviews are so important to that exposure and to moving the needle of the conversation. So I'll just thank you in advance for that. I've loved your reviews so far. That's all the time we have for today. My fellow parents, leaders, and educators, thank you so much for tuning in to How to Talk to Kids About Anything. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com. So many great podcasts are up there and the show notes to this podcast will be up there as well. I look forward to weathering the storms and enjoying the sunny side of life together. And please remember, even on the days when you fall short, you've got this. You're here, you're getting the information you need. I know it's not easy, but never forget there's always tomorrow. Parenting is the ultimate do-over. I know you may have heard something today and you just said, oh my goodness, I, I remember my child brought this up. I said the wrong thing. I didn't do that at all. Don't do that to yourself. There is always time to have the conversation again. You can always go back and say, I wish I said this. When you brought this up the other day, I really wish I had said this. Can we have this conversation again? I'd like to ask you some of these questions now that I have some questions to ask. I see you. I'm right there with you. And as there are moments when we doubt our know-how, our choices, and our sweet sanity, please know you're 10 times the parent you think you are. Until next time, this is Dr. Robin Silverman with How to Talk to Kids About Anything. Please tune in again and keep connecting through conversation. See you next week. You've been listening to How to Talk to Kids About Anything with Dr. Robin Silverman. For more information on books, articles, speaking engagements, or curriculum, please visit drrobinsilverman.com.